Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Yusuf on Security, the cybersecurity podcast for everyday defender from analyst to the C-suites in plain English. Accessing and managing various applications and services remotely is a daily occurrence for a typical administrator. It's often the fastest way to accomplish a quick task while you are on the move or say something urgent is needed while you are still on your way to your desk. While that is nothing new, we see an uptick on the number of successful attacks taking advantage on these exposed administrative interfaces. What is causing the recent increase in web UI initial access? Well, that's the topic of our episode this week. I'm your host Ibrahim Yusuf, and just before we hit the main topic, let's review a couple of top of mind security news. Not long ago, Microsoft Exchange Online was breached. They now revealed how this happened. Cybercriminals hit US and the UK's critical infrastructure, the water utilities. All that coming up next on Yusuf on Security. This is Yusuf on Security, episode 156, recorded Saturday, 27th of January. 2024 the risks of exposing web uis back around middle of january january 12 um, this year of course um, microsoft said they have discovered that a attacker the state packed attacker um, actually infiltrated um, their email um, system um, exchange online um, and this started back in November 2023 um, and at that time of course they said they stole email from their leadership um, executives um, but also groups such as within the Microsoft um, organization security groups um, individuals but also the legal and they identified that some of these emails contained um, information that they put together about the hacking group that actually hacked them um, and this will then allowed um, the attacker to learn what Microsoft knew about them now, this is what they wrote, quote, in this observed um, Midnight Blizzard activity, and this is the hacking group, Midnight Blizzard. We're going to come on to that, who they are. Um, the actors, they say, tailored um, their password spray attack to a limited number of accounts using a low number of attempts to evade detection and avoid account blocks based on the volume of failures, um, etc. Now, of course, this is um, a state sponsored um, group. Um, it's also known as Nobelium um, and APT29. Probably that's the well-known um, attack that the industry attached to this um, group. And they are um, packed. Um, attribution is always hard, but apparently by the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, um, also known as SVR. And they go after Big fish, you know, targeting government organizations, targeting um, big organizations such as um, uh, IT providers, um, software developers um, like Microsoft um, across Europe as well as in the US, but also the organizations such as um, non-government um, 
organizations are not spared as well. Um, and what Microsoft has confirmed um, is this is being a group that obviously targeted them. And they targeted um, not other than um, a password spray, um, brute force attack um, that targeted, as they put a quote unquote, a small number of accounts. Um, and one of these accounts being a quote, legacy non-production test tenant account, unquote. Now, who are the um, ABT29? Well, this group is, um, as I said, um, known as ABT29, um, but also another well-known name um, of them is Cozy Bear. Um, they, the group that actually meddled with the United States 2016 presidential election, apparently. And they really did a lot of what was an aggressive campaign um, and also corporate espionage around around the world for years. And, and they were attributed to that um, 2021 solar wind supply chain attack. Um, that was a big news at the time. Um, this time, of course, they infiltrated uh, Microsoft, um, but also other big organizations such as HP. And the details obviously will be within the um, uh, outlets report, but this time we'll focus on the Microsoft. Um, this is basically Midnight Blizzard, um, also known as APT29, um, which really are famous for espionage and things like that, etc. And this is what the um, the U.S. National Security Agency, um, one of the individual, um, said, quote, we shouldn't be surprised that Russian intelligence pack threat actors and SVR, that's another name of them, in particular are targeting tech companies like Microsoft and HB, and that's the other one, that's Hewlett-Packard. With organization that size, it would be much bigger surprise to learn they were not. And of course, when Microsoft first um, told everyone that they had this breach, um, many obviously obviously asked themselves, well, hang on, if there was a, an account that has been brute forced and with a password spray, um, what about multifactor authentication? Was that enabled? Um, Microsoft said this was a test account. Um, this was legacy. This hasn't been covered by the current stringent Microsoft security. But nevertheless, it appears that this account was sufficient for these bad guys to bury themselves in and go far and wide um, because they were able to really then um, go after other part of the organization um, as part of their lateral movement, which is always um, something that they will naturally do um, in order to grab additional account. Now, since Microsoft has confirmed that the multi-factor authentication was unfortunately not enabled, um, if I open a bracket, um, the recent um, sort of egg-in-the-face kind of situation um, that we are obviously learning on this uh, report um, also was the case when um, Mandian, which is basically an arm of Google, um, actually had um, their um, Twitter, now X, account taken over. And, and the multi-factor authentication um, within that window when the attack has happened apparently was not on. Um, so it's actually not 
quite surprising um, to learn that multifactor authentication, even people who are preaching for this to be the case, is not something easy to always get it right. Um, but unfortunately, in the case of, of course, Mandian is just a Twitter account. But here we're talking about really far deep reaching uh, consequences for Microsoft. And yeah, they have confirmed that they can't, did not um, have their um, MFA um, enabled, and this allowed the threat actor to then um, reach within the Microsoft system by using brute force, um, of course, um, until they guess um, the correct password. And and when you obviously hear a password spray is they go after a number of accounts, right? So they amass a lot of accounts, and then they use one password, and then they use that password for all accounts. They test the um, the account basically for that one password. If it doesn't fail, if it doesn't succeed, they change the password and they do another password, another password, and therefore the concept of just spraying password on those accounts until something succeeds. Well, this time it succeeded, um, and unfortunately, the second bump that should have actually allowed this allowed them to go further was not on, i.e., the MFA, um, and that will then allow them to um, to penetrate the organization. So three things: MFA lacking um brute force something that can be obviously brute forced so that's the second thing um and of course the password strength was not sufficient because if, if the password strength is really sufficient then of course it is it's really hard to to reach um microsoft also explained that the test account had access um and this is the other really situation that they find themselves in, it had access to OAuth um, application, which with elevated access to Microsoft corporate environment. Now, that's another thing that is actually questionable, right? So OAuth, um, what is OAuth? Well, OAuth stands for, and O is like O for Oscar, and then Auth, short for authentication, and, and the two word, um, the, the character O is in front of the Auth, therefore the name of the protocol. It's a protocol, basically, which allows other organizations um, to provide access um, when a request comes from an individual. And you may have seen this, you go to a website XYZ, um, the website gives you the option to either create a brand new account in order for them to provide you the service that you came here for, or they say, hey, if you want, you can log in with your Google, with your Facebook, with your this. Um, and when you say, hey, I don't want to create another account, it's just too many accounts, um, I want to just log in with my you know, Google account um, or Gmail account, um, what you're actually then doing is you, they will provide you, um, they provide you with a link, obviously there's a little panel, you click on the um, Gmail or Google account, um, then the Google account opens. So what they're opening is they're opening a window through their application, taking you to google.com. Google.com then um, authenticates you on behalf of them. And when Google authenticates, it then goes back behind the scene without your knowledge to that organization that you came in to have service from um, and say, hey, yeah, we authenticated that individual has supplies the right credentials, whether you have MFA enabled, whether you have other things, mechanism enabled, doesn't matter. Once Google account says, hey, we authenticated, it returns you back to the, um, to the organization that you visited. Um, so you don't actually have to supply um, 
your password of Google to them. So that is a sort of a delegation um, that they're using. Um, and that's what open authentication does. Um, now, of course, Microsoft had this enabled. And not only that, on this test account, it had an elevated access, um, which allowed Microsoft corporate environment obviously um, access to. Um, this allowed the Thread Actor, of course, to create additional OAuth applications um, for corporate mailboxes. Um, and this is what they said, quote, I'm Midnight Blizzard, of course, um, I'm using this information, um, gained from Microsoft investigation to Midnight Blizzard, Microsoft Threat Intelligence has identified that the same actor has been targeting other organizations and as part of our usual notification, um, processes we have begun notifying these targeted organizations. Obviously, we, we, we learned since this is um, Hewlett Packard, um, obviously disclosed um, breach pretty much at the same time. So, um, I'm not going to bore you with the granular details of all of this. I'm going to, as always, I'll provide you with just a snapshot of what's going on, but also give you, of course, the links that I'm referring to here. Um, and one of the um, mitigation that they really um, highlighted, of course, is um, focusing on um, SIM alerts, of course, and also um, extended detection and response. And I've talked about extended detection and response um, to make sure that you have some sort of a system that sees everything that moves with an eye to security, not necessarily SIM alone, um, because SIM is just a data gathering. That's one thing, plus additional bullet points, which I leave you to actually enumerate through that great read to go um, um, into the details and you really can actually go to all sorts of other outlets to have a more granular details including the microsoft the blog itself which i will add to this links The UK and the US water utilities were hit by a cyber attack. Um, and the group behind this is called Black Pasta. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, but the municipalities um, that are providing drinkable water but also recycling um, are both in the UK and in the US, at least in the southern of England, um, is served by Southern Water. Now, Southern Water... It's responsible for the public um, wastewater collection and treatment um, in the Hampshire as well as Isle of Wight, West Sussex, East Sussex and Kent. Um, these are all in the um, England area um, for the public, um, but also for the public they supply um, distribute water um, in that area. Um, this is um, 2.26 million customers um, when I looked them up. Um, and it's an organization that's been in existence for a very long time. And this group um, that have actually had a go at them um, is called Black Pasta. And if I looked up um, Black Pasta, is something that is known, we've um, mentioned in these episodes previously, um, but it's a, um, a ransomware group, basically, and they provide a ransomware as a service, um, shortened as RAS, R-A-A-S. 
And of course, one of their hallmark is the fact that the ransomware is written in C++. Um, and they've been uh, in this operation, in the SaaS operation, in the RAS operation rather, um, since at least April they, um, in 2022, um, when I looked at them in the Mitra attack, um, their um, target windows and VMware ESXi servers were um, the go-to. Um, and of course, their sign um, is basically double extortion technique um, where they demand ransom for decrypting the files of the organization that they have um, attacked. And if they don't pay, then they um, threaten to post sensitive information to a leaked side um, and therefore um, pressurize them that way. Double extortion, we've talked about this um, previously. High-level organization is what they really go after. Um, we're talking about utilities company here, critical infrastructure um, at the um, nationwide. Um, and, and of course, based on their similarity of what they do in, 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 st- um, in, in terms of the leak website, they use um, their um, tactics, techniques, and procedures, etc. Um, this um, is also um, related to a well-known group, um, and they were a member of, um, and still are, the former member um, of these groups at the county group, and, and we've talked about this uh, previously. Now, of course, the whole TTB is, high, is, is, is really detailed in the Mitra attack, um, but they use, of course, PowerShell script to discover and execution. Um, they use the typical um, built-in tools uh, such as CMD and other critical infrastructure of um, of, of the um, of the operating system. Their um, hallmark in terms of encryption files is they use the um, the ChaCha twenty um, cipher, um, which is quite high-speed um, um, cipher to, to encrypt things. And here, they're not going to hit large files. They will hit the smaller files on the operating system. They use, of course, droppers, the whole thing. Um, you know, the whole Shalala Bank is what they're going to do to go, to go and actually um, hit those environments. Of course, it's not unknown that they actually go after non-Windows operating systems as well, such as Linux um, operating system. So what they took out and they claim um, is 750 gigabyte of data, um, which um, they said uh, as of um, yesterday, um, you know, they gave them um, six days um, until they released that um, for everyone to see. So therefore, double extortion at play here. Um, And Southern Water, at least, is still assessing really what exactly has been taken. Um, it appears that it's confined to back-end systems um, and not necessarily throughout the organization. Um, good way to highlight here the segmentation, um, the importance of segmentation within 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 the you know, organization so that at least you can contain the fire if something comes in. The other company in the US is called Veolia, um, V-E-O-L-I-A. Um, apparently, it was noticed that their um, 
process bill payment was unavailable. So it looks like they really hit them hard then, um, which is quite um, very hard to recover quickly. Um, and therefore, it might suggest that there might not have been a segmentation, but that's just um, opinion in on the internet. Um, but certainly, if those systems are not available, then certainly it's um, there is a case to be made that that might have actually been hit. Um, and of course, um, ransomware as a service um, is, is is a very complicated. Um, a fear because you you're dealing with not only people who are um, really robust and knowledgeable of what they're doing but also they separated the duties and therefore picked up the most specialized to do what exactly is needed so the initial access might actually be have been carried out by an initial um, um, access broker um, the encryption tools um, I have actually come from um, the Black Bastard gang right um, and they or others might provide the um, infrastructure that actually give them the ransomware as a service capabilities um, so you can now see the complication that these organizations are um, facing and you know Kudos, of course, to Southern Water to have at least in place um, um, the separation of the infrastructure to contain the fire. Um, but of course, um, there's got to be strong access control and monitoring. Um, and it was suggested to actually have a look at the the CESA water sector guidance, um, which I will also link to. So that's the um, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency of the US who produced a guidance for the water utility organization. Um, and that would be really a good idea to have a look at um, and, you know, maybe take a leaf out of that guide um, to improve whatever the status of your infrastructure environment is as of um, today. For the U.S. Um, organization, um, the Violia, um, North America, uh, they uh, disclosed a recent cybersecurity incident um, that affected its municipality water division, but not a lot of details much really um, is known. Um, again, I'll link the details into, into the show note that you can actually dig deeper um, if you wish to do so. And now we came to the main topic of the show, the risk of exposing web UI to the public-facing part of your infrastructure, meaning the internet. Um, and if you really look at the um, uptick, meaning the increase of attacks um, that are successful um, on targeting web UI, whether to do with a bug um, within the infrastructure um, or whether it is to do with a fault on setting up correctly, um, there is definitely an increase um, of that um, on the threat landscape. And we know the attackers will always go for the easy entry. And web UI is not um, a small um, thing if they pull that off because it is a conduit um, to the heart of the organization and it gives them really um, a massive key that can unlock a lot of other things. Um, because when we say 
web UI. We're not talking about um, user-facing environment here. We're talking about um, administrative panels, administrative consoles, um, which is the bread and butter of the administrators to carry out a number of admin tasks which allows them um, to make the business run Um, and of course this technology the web ui has become more and more um, something that is just a de facto that comes in with all sorts of servers or applications of any software uh, for businesses to even interact with their customers and allow maybe even um, their workforce some sort of an access, a web um, access where maybe they can reset their password, maybe they can answer some questions um, if they are locked out. Um, But this simplicity um, of supporting multiple services and applications uh, comes with a cost if you're not careful. Um, For example, a lot of IT operations um, utilize admin consoles um, because it's a straightforward um, way to support the demand um, of an administrator to be available um, and jump on any task that they are requested to do uh, with a blink of an eye, um, regardless whether he or she is using their own company-given machine or whether they are coming in from a smartphone which they already been sanctioned um, by by themselves, meaning the IT has sanctioned them. And, and that really just creates more and more um, surface of attack. Um, and yes, the administrators, um, the security professionals have already um, taken care of a lot of um, mitigation with regard to allowing an external party to basically pick it back on that web um, console that is exposed. Um, but of course, the reality is time and again, there are mistakes. And this is why this topic has picked up today so that we can actually look into it. So let's have a look. So if you really just define web UI is a kind of remote access um, in a way, right? So uh, remote access for typical user, um, we provide them with a VPN, virtual private network, or through a machine that is trusted um, and also with a password and a username or even no password, but actually using um, biometric um, nowadays um, because we're moving towards passwordless future Um, and then once they've done that you need to also make sure that you provide um, something that is ephemeral meaning um, not just the biometric and the and the user but actually a multi-factor authentication on top of it Um, and that allows them to come in so whichever way you want to call it is a remote access mechanism now this is not for users now, it's for admins, which is important because we're talking about the people who have privilege to reach far and wide within the, within the organization. Um, we're talking about administrators that can actually um, reconfigure a server, um, set up firewall rules, um, do scans, um, copy files, create directories, etc. Um, and that is critical um, because it's no longer in the in the um, user land a talk now is a, a um, administrative um, level kind of access now 
if you now couple that with the advance of cloud computing um, and also um, the ability to automate things nowadays, um, you know, when that account leaks and someone gets their hands into that web access, then they can really do a lot of damage very, very soon um, because what that then means is they take complete control of the of the environment uh, because they they just have been given a golden key um with two hands and then they will they will essentially um grab now some of the consequences of course is yeah it's an authorized access um, because now you have access of someone from outside in an unauthorized manner um, but then they will be able to do all manner of things, data theft, um, creating accounts, um, maybe even ransom um, um, account takeovers, bury themselves deep without much notice, meaning espionage, etc. They might bring malware and files because they really are an administrator, um, essentially, if they want to, if they want to do that, or if it's someone who's just really doing um, bragging their capability, maybe they will do some sort of a defacement um, because sometimes um, reputation um, is a lot more um, impactful for an organization than just um, something else right so by and large when they gain access to a web admin interface um, they will be able to do lateral movement to look for other logins and admins etc um, now how do they actually do it from the outside well it's a case of using existing tools to do scans um, on the internet and there are cheap but also freely available tools um, that the bad guys whether advanced or uh, the advanced ones of course of APT style nation state pact would have their own tool that they developed to have their own you know TTPs <laughs> and that's the giveaway they're going to live on um, on the environment but some of them actually don't have that capability and they will be able to just use what is available. Um, some of them are cheap, um, so it doesn't cost too much really um, to rent um, or to subscribe to um, indefinitely and pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee. And then it's a case of scanning the um, internet for uh, known infrastructure and, and then they will divide themselves whether they want to go through um, towards a well-known organization that use well-known technology or whether they're just going to do a blind scan for login for admin for administrator etc so for example if you go to a web press um, and then you type dot 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 company name um, that is using the webpress.com forward slash wb hyphen admin that's essentially the login of default webpress um, um, and page um, and of course you would um, unlock that and either you need to have a strong um, multi-factor authentication laced with a strong password um, and also change at least the username um, of the logon rather than WordPress um, or completely change the w-admin to something that is not known um, you know a gibberish or a long string that you only know and then of course you pass that to a sort of a management um, password manager so that you don't actually have to remember it at all um, but in any case, they will kind of scan. Um, but imagine if you now really make that WordPress um, um, admin um, directory name completely something random and, and, and you know unknown, um, and then you really do a 
quite decent password with a two-factor authentication. Now, it's really hard for someone, um, A, to find that because it's a gibberish, um, randomized um, string. Um, but if they do, um, it's very hard for them to come in um, should there be the possibility for them to land on that top directory. Um, and then the list goes on. And of course, um, the problem is with the expansion of technology and the ease of use and um, people becoming more and more lazy, um, if I put it that way, uh, the, the friction between security and and um, um, ease of use it comes to the fore and it's always a tug of war, simplicity versus security, right? Which one is going to win? If you make things too secure, then it's pretty much, you, you know, unusable. And then it slowly, you default back to usability and therefore because there will be a rejection of users not to be able to use the technology and then slow down on a productivity problem and then the sooner or later management will be um, breathing down your neck telling you, hey, we need to make this a lot more useful um, and usable. And then you drop down that security to a level where it is acceptable to the user and therefore acceptable user policy has now overturned the security level that you brought it up to a reasonable level. Um, now, that is a tack of war. We're not going to get out of that word. You have to strike a balance uh, because risk versus mitigation is what, what I really um, am talking about. And if I quote some numbers from Recorded Future, um, they said, um, quote, um, for example, they said, um, as of today, um, when, when they released the report, 37%, um, and that was last year, 37% of all our scan projects show come from public visible admin panel for both VBN and firewall-based um, enterprise software. Right? Um, unquote. And that's really the heart of the problem. We're talking about VBN, Right. And firewall, um, enterprise software, um, which are the building block of risk mitigation and, and, and the blaming of a security of any organization um, that allows a, a, a company to function. Right. And of course, um, if you now take that one step further, um, you could be talking about um, industrial control systems, right? The SCADAs, um, WordPress, um, like the example I gave you, etc. Now, um, exposing, of course, networking equipments, um, which by definition should be really um, uh, the perimeter, the defense mechanism, right? Um, the, to prevent what is outside coming in to the inside, um, that management interface of for a firewall and network devices um, being exposed is playing with with. With, with fire um, because sooner or later um, someone is going to keep hammering that and unfortunately we're not talking about all companies are going to put two-factor authentication or maybe even change the default user if they change the password and then it's a disaster right it's a recipe for essentially disaster um, and um, all brands, um, big brands, um, without mentioning names, have um, web-based admin interface. Um, and very recently, uh, you know, well-known brands have made bugs, have bugs have been found and successfully exploited. Um, and, and, and that's the reality for networking equipment. When it comes to, of course, VPNs, um, again, they're not obviously um, unheard of. Panels can be made available um, for um, usage. And unfortunately, if that is not 
well protected, um, which we're going to touch about how to protect them in a minute and left with default settings. And then that is double whammy because um, access is as easy as guessing or brute forcing um, in order then to be able to uh, penetrate that um, organization. And if default credentials are on, um, that will, that, that risk level just just really catapults to a level um, uh, we can't even mention, right? So, and of course, again, big brands, um, iron machines um, that are powering the internet, um, massive brands have actually been found um, to be, you know, to be exposed. Um, not the fault of the vendor, unless there is a bug, of course. Um, but of course, the the setup and the configuration is 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 at fault and you know we're going to again talk about how we need to go about that now if we now talk about software um, that was also another problem right so we're talking about we talked about big software splunk um, atlassian um, oracle uh, people soft we talked about all of those software and and yes they do have you know exposed um, uh, exposable admin panel and and is not unheard of for that to be found if you do a simple scan for either free tools or easily um, rentable or um, purchasable um, that you can purchase a purchasable um, tools that are on the internet the scary ones is the industrial control systems and there are myriads and everyone talks about it and i think um it's it's, it's quite scary and also um you know industrial control systems are those who actually do um water supply um electricities um you know road um signaling and all of that uh, but also operational technology which is extensively used um in industrial and manufacturing um organizations as well and and it's not unheard of for let's say a support organization or a vendor um, to say to the client hey we need this to be able to access um, there are better way to do it we're going to talk about that expose these interfaces and of course um, poor client who do they who are they to of course say no to the vendor who's supposed to be quote unquote um, should know um what they are talking about because that's their own software but sometimes again um, ease of use um, you know trumps the security and the mitigation level that you want so you need to question that um, the big one and the go-to above everything else is email services right um, that you see a lot uh, microsoft exchange admin center is is it is actually notoriously known for being highly um, targeted um, by the cyber croak. And if we know anything about, of course, Microsoft, like any other vendor, to be quite honest, I'm just mentioning Microsoft as a big brand, there's a lot of always exploit and bugs. Um, and when it comes to email, and remember, as I always say, email is the number one factor of attack um, because it's that service that really allows a... Um, individual to trust an email rather than picking up the, the phone and saying hey did you ask me to wire you know fifty thousand us dollars in five minutes um and 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 that's the problem um and it's insecure um is a um, in you know ingrained into our psyche and and is here to stay etc et but it's not just microsoft we talk about others we talk about squirrel email we go to talk about simpra web client do you have holiday um and so on and so forth with with which a lot of admins actually use but 
the giant um, in the room is Microsoft Exchange. Databases, yep. You know, that's the, that's the go-to, right? Mongo database, you will be able to see um, Grafana being available on, on, the, um, on the public uh, domain. And, of course, they're begging not only brute forcing and guessing, but also they, they're begging for SQL injection um, on top of the brute forcing of a weak um, credentials. And we've talked about, of course, the web hosting, um, uh, whether it is a lot of, of course, sellers and hosting organizations um, give you the cPanel, um, which unfortunately then, if you are a small business specifically and you don't have that level of security awareness then you kind of like expose that because the first thing people do is they allow the email to their employees and there you go that's where the problem essentially starts now we talked about a lot of different way that the attacker is actually um, coming in and um, why the risk of allowing um, web access to the public is dangerous let's now talk about the mitigation of what we need um, um, to do now, just to recap, web admin is an administrative tool, so it's not a user-related issue. It's to do something that is allowing someone to do administrative, and therefore, if the attacker succeeds to pass that um, hurdle, they're in with administrative access because now they can manage and do all sorts of things. Now, measures have to be taken once we understood that to make sure that we require if you're going to really expose something, then don't expose the um, application or database or whatever admin it, it is, console. Expose a landing machine that has a low-level um, access where you come in um, through a VPN um, from a specific IP if you want to really be strict. Um, so make sure that you're using a sort of a um, server-based IP allow deny rule um, through a web server. Um, for example, a lot of the existing um, next generation gateways allow you to come in um, and define a public facing sort of a VPN over the browser or you set up a VPN on a machine um, and then you basically obtain that, um, of course, VPN connection. Then there is a pool of IP addresses allowing um, that VPN to establish. Then you basically set up a rule to say only that pool of IP will allow them to go to this um, once you're actually inside the organization that can go to, you know, so-and-so um, admin console. So VPN with a restrict access to a specific um, source IP. So that's one. Of course, the VPN itself, when you are establishing, have to have um, is strong authentication, right? So the machine has to be known machine. Um, you could make sure that that secure access tool checks the health of the machine, make sure the machine is um, scanned for malware compromise, and maybe it makes a call back to the EDR to make sure that this machine is actually really has functioning EDR we're not talking about user you know you're not going to say hey but there's no EDR on this machine because it doesn't belong to me we're talking about an admin accessing your infrastructure so that machine has to be coming from the organization and sanctioned by security and IT so therefore then it should have an ADR then whatever security access that is allowing that machine to obtain even this you know successful connection to the VPN has to go over that hump and once that is satisfied and the machine is healed, Healthy, issued machine by security and IT, 
um, is um, not compromised, then of course it will it will obtain a pool of IP that are specific um, for uh, authentication authenticated user. Of course, two factor authentication is here. Um, not even mentioned saying that that's a must. Then you go through that strict security, and then you land on an environment that is segregated from the num- from the rest of the organization. You then allow yourself whether you need to VBA in in again with other sort of access control. Depends on really how low you want the mitigation to go to to fall, how strict you wanted it to be. But at least that everything that I said at that level, that's a sufficient one to to, to actually kick off with. Once you have that, then um, you you then be able to then log in to the um, um, to the server where you actually are required to authenticate again to factor authentication now you actually then go into the to the uh, to the console so you separate really three level um, or if you want to call it four level the machine on health right um, the the VBN, the the pool of IP where it came from, and then of course the um, second authentication once you have actually established the VBN. Other way to do it is um, is of course um, using a password manager um, so that you don't actually really use something that is. Um, susceptible to be guessing if you don't have password less established already where you need to rely on something that you are um, um, and something you have and completely forget something you know which is the password so you can pass that but if not if you don't have that level yet then you need to have a password manager and set up you know really strong crazy password with very long alphanumeric digit that can satisfy and really dwarfed a guessing or a um, brute force now if all of that is really hard to obtain, that you may be able to set up HTTP authentication mechanism, which is recommended, but not the best way to, to do it. And if you know, if if you really mention what not to do, it's very simple. You don't just expose web admins nilly willy with no protection to the outside world. And if you purchase technology that allows you to do that, um, the first thing you need to do, obviously, is to bring the machine inside, right, to make sure that you're really um, um, not exposing that. Now, of course, there's a WAF, web application firewalling, that you can actually set up, um, that can do all of the things that I have actually talked about. Uh, for small organizations that might be using, you know, the unified threat management um, UTMs, um, there is a way to obviously have over the browser VPN connections, and then you kind of set up a RDB connection within that, and then set up some sort of a um, that rule-based deny allow list of IP addresses. So whichever way you want to do that, you or not to expose a web um, admin because I think what the attackers are doing is when they're not able to do something with the technology that is preventing them to access, the first thing they do is they look for mistakes, configuration issues of such as what we actually talked about. And that's it. We came to the end of this um, session. I think it was a fascinating session because that is something that is really on the uptick and we see an increase of that. And it's prudent to really um, review um, what I've said um, above. And for that, with that, we're going to stop and um, pause here uh, this week. And I'm looking forward um, to see you next week. Thanks for joining me. And until next week, as always, take care. <laughs>